This isn't Grandma's radio show. We talk about slobber knocking fights. Grounded pal. Rear naked chokes. Plug your ears if you don't want to hear it. It's coming up next, another brand new episode of Sucker Radio. This is MMA fight music producer Mikey Ruckus, and you are listening to another edition of Sucker Radio with your host, Jeremy Brand. Be sure to catch all your mixed martial arts news and interviews and updates at www.mmasucker.com. I can't believe this could happen to me, plucked from obscurity or whatever I was working to be. But the opportunity presented itself, so I see the door was open. It's the breath of fresh air that I needed. Just an average dude, and now I've become a catalyst. Make connection between fighters and fans. Can you imagine it? I've learned to manage it. Analyst analysis, studied the sport in every point because I'm passionate. I play the advocate and sometimes the antagonist. Building up the hype before a fight, this ain't by accident. In the world of mixed martial arts, I'm the evangelist spreading the news of MMA, the number one candidate. Calibrate levels of greatness, that's when we collaborate. Mikey Ruckus, Jeremy Brand, as we reactivate. Brand creates the show for the fans, and it's magnanimous. Jury's out decision, and a yes, it's unanimous. It's the radio, it's the, it's the radio, sucker, sucker radio. It's the radio, it's the, it's the radio, sucker, sucker radio. Welcome back, suckers, the final episode of Sucker Radio for the year 2014. Um, we're going to be doing a best of show here. I'm not going to have any full interview um, or live interviews for that matter with fighters this week. I'm going to be playing four of my favorite interviews from this year. With the likes of Michelle Watterson, Ryan Jimmo, Ian McCall, and Josh Gao. Uh, Josh Gao, if you don't know the name, you will after this interview. He was the man that was training with Juliana Pena when she was injured. He explains how that happened in this interview, so I wanted to get that out to you guys in the year-end show with as much uh, promotion as I can. So... Those are the four interviews that I'm going to um, play in this show. But I have a guest for you here that is going to join me right off the hop to recap the year that was 2014. This guy was one of the original writers with us at MMASucka.com and since leaving has gone on to work for the largest mixed martial arts site in Australia, MMA Canvas. Please welcome Justin Fox, or as we like to call him, Foxy, to Sucker Radio. Justin, buddy, welcome back to Sucker, man. Happy to be here, sir. It's very, very good. I've always uh, always been very appreciate, appreciative of what you guys did for me over there at MMA Sucker. So I think I found my footing as a writer there. So I'm um, very happy to be back, happy to help out in any way I can. How, how are things going for you with MMA Canvas? Uh, has that site taken off the way expected? Yeah, it's a strange, it's a strange thing where um where where the mixed martial arts platform for Nine MSN Australia, which I'm not sure if Nine MSN has the same kind of stranglehold that it does in Canada or North America or whatever for you guys as it does for us, but um it does it's a pretty big um a pretty big conglomerate down here, and um it I think it the at the heart of what I do basically is I've got to try and create some stuff about fighting that normal people will like if that makes any sense not i'm not saying that fight fans aren't normal because yeah <laughs> but i'm um, basically what i'm saying is no um basically i want to create something that can appeal to someone like yourself a an avid fight fan but i want to create something that can also appeal 
to a middle-aged lady or a a teenage boy or anything. I want to be able to find something that can touch and really appeal to anyone. And that's basically what I have to try to do and try and get people that don't like fighting and don't really know a lot about fighting, get them to sign off on something because they think it's a worthwhile story. What's the mixed social scene like down in Australia at this point? Yeah, I think it's growing, but it's still it's still got a long way to go. I think uh, Victoria has the cage ban has not been lifted in Victoria. I'm not sure if you're aware. Um, the in Victoria, my home state, it's currently illegal to host a fight in a in an in a cage, but it's perfectly legal to host mixed martial arts in a ring. So the sport is not banned, but the cage is banned. Go figure that one. Yeah. But so. Uh, but the the labor government uh, who have they they have just got been put in power and they have made the decision that they're going to overturn that. Um, it's expected to be done next year, um, or oh, 2015. By the time I'm I'm guessing this will be this will still be uh, 2014 by the time this goes up. Anyway, um, so it's expected to get overturned and. Then, uh, then the UFC can come to Melbourne in November as planned. Um, they're looking to pr- put on a pretty big show down there. But for right, I think that's that's going to be the catalyst to pushing it to be a lot more popular than it is right now. But right now, I mean, there's a lot of small local shows, and then the UFC comes a few times a year. And I think uh, without, I think the UFC needs a bit more of a presence here before we can grow the sport here. For sure. Now, as you said, you, you this show will be up uh, in 2014. It is midday right now for you on the 31st. Um, so any big New Year's plans for you this evening? Nothing too major. I got a, I got a few buddies coming around. We're going to have, have a few drinks, play some cards, and have a barbecue. But uh, nothing too major. Not going to terrorize the neighborhood like I, I did a few year, did in years prior. Ter- terrorizing as... That's one thing that that made me want to keep you around at MMA Sucker was your crazy profile pictures on Facebook. Um, <laughs> obviously, the jihad and and uh, terrorism stuff was a little crazy. The the bombs on the chest and whatnot. Did you do Did you do anything crazy for Halloween this year? Well, Halloween isn't a big deal here. It it really isn't. Um, it's it's only just began to be celebrated here, and it's very much only thing celebrated by children. So, um, going out and having a Halloween themed party around here isn't really a normal thing that people do. So, unfortunately, I haven't been able to get involved in those festivities. All right. Well, let's talk the year that was, twenty fourteen, mixed martial arts. There were obviously like some really big stories that happened in this calendar year. What was the one big thing that stood out for you? As a whole, you mean you mean the story of the year? You yeah, the story fight of the year. No, not the fight of the year, but a storyline that that went down this year. Something that shocked you that happened in 2014. I think the biggest storyline of the year has ultimately been the injury bug. I mean, a lot of big plans have fallen to pieces and a lot of big fights fell to pieces. And it was really a narrative for a lot of this year that uh, a lot of fights were falling to pieces and they weren't going forward as expected. And something that I really hope that isn't going to happen 
especially in this in this first quarter and that in the January in particular, there's four cards on the bill on the lineup and they are all looking quite excellent. So I'm hoping it, they don't get touched by the old injury bug. But I think that has been the ma- biggest takeaway from the year. It's been a year where a lot of a lot of plans were made and a lot of them didn't go th- go forward as expected. For sure, and that really did suck for a lot of the big fights that that were planned to happen. I mean, Jones Gustafson two didn't happen. There was Cruz versus Burrell, which should have happened as well. There's a ton of fights that that were expected that just never came to fruition. Um, there was other big news that went down this year as well with things like the lawsuit and and this whole UFC and Reebok thing. Were you shocked when you, obviously uniforms was something that was in talks for the longest time and, and people had been rumoring this and, and gossiping about uniforms, but were you shocked that Reebok was the one that they announced as being the partner? Yeah, I was under the impression, I'm, I, the, I was under the impression that it was likely going to be Under Armour. Um, I was I was a little surprised it was going to be Reebok, and it's it's a strange thing with this uh, this deal coming forward. Um, we're not really, I mean, it hasn't come into effect yet. Is the main thing. I mean, a lot of people we've all read the numbers and we've figured out their system they're running by now, and we've kind of jumped to conclusions a bit. I want to. I want to wait until this actually comes into effect, and then I want to try and get in touch with some of these people. I mean, I, I think the ones that this is really going to affect are these middle of the range guys. I mean, the the or the lower ranked guys in particular. I mean, the guys at the top of the cards they're going to be pretty well taken care of at this point. But I I want to know how this affects a person, someone that has been in the UFC for a few years, maybe isn't ranked in the top 15, but uh, someone like a Joe Lozon, I want to know how that affects him uh, if he's now hasn't got uh, the consistent money that he did previously coming in from sponsorship. For sure. And, you know, as media members, we we tend to think about the fighters and, and how they're doing with their paychecks. But, you know, something that hasn't really been spoken about are these little – um, companies that have been screwed by what's going to happen with Reebok. I mean, there's these companies that like to get on fighters' shorts. They like to get on fighters' banners. Yes, they had to pay the sponsor tax, but likely their bread and butter was made by what these UFC fighters had done for them. No one's talking about these guys not getting any of the recognition that they're going to get or that they did get. Yeah, I mean, you see um, a lot of these companies have, I think a lot of people, these companies felt that this was coming and they've adjusted their business plans to move forward without the addition of the UFC. But I think that definitely hurts them. I mean, you look at a company like Venom or just a company that's traditionally um, thought of as a, as a fight company brand, a fight brand that you traditionally see on fighter shirts and walkout shirts and banners and that kind of thing i i'm really intrigued to see what they do i'm intrigued to see if they get out of the mma business in particular i mean will they even try to get will they even make an effort to be on bellator shows or will they just decide that we're gonna make our money in other ways speaking of bellator that's something else that went down in 2014 bjorn rebney out Scott Coker in. This was something that just sort of happened out of the blue. Scott Coker, former uh, president of Strikeforce, owner of Strikeforce, comes over and now he's at the helm of Bellator. It seems like a lot of fighters, managers, um, promoters even are are super excited to have Scott Coker there. Um, What are your thoughts on Scott Coker at the helm of Bellator? 
Well, I think that what Scott Coker's vision for Bellator is a lot more a lot more feasible than what Bjorn Rebney had in mind for Bellator. I mean, I credit to him. He wanted to stick to the tournament format, but there were a lot of problems that came with that format. There were a lot of problems. You had champions that were lucky to get to a cage a few times a year because they've got to wait for these tournaments to get through so they can get challenges. And it was a very much a system that was struggling and, Going forward with that system just would have been a headache upon headache upon headache. And I think Scott Coker has a vision that's a lot more, a lot closer to pride than it is UFC. And they're doing a lot less, which is something that I definitely like. I like the fact that they're they're doing less events. They're aiming for 16 events this year. I think that's very manageable. They're, I think they can make a Bellator, they can make a, a number of Bellator events mean something that I don't think the UFC can really bring the importance of most of their cards at this point, but Bellator have a rare chance to space them out and make each card a little bit more special. For sure. And yes, they are still the number two promotion in most people's eyes. Do you think that with Scott Coker as the head of Bellator, a lot of these free agents might uh, look to them as the number one? I don't think that, I think Bellator are even close to being a number one at this point. I think the distance between number one and number two is very, very pronounced. I think it's a big, big gap. But that doesn't mean – just because they're not bigger than the UFC doesn't mean that they can't be a competitor and be in the running for these big free agents. I mean if Brock Lesnar's contract comes up, I mean there's a lot of – still a lot of question marks at Circle with that, whether he still owed fights to the UFC, a lot of – things are up in the air with that right now but hypothetically if he's on the if he's on the free agency market wwe ufc and bellator are all in the running i mean that shows that they're not a small player they've they've got the backing of viacom and they are willing to fork out some money and try and make their brand as big as possible and i think they've got a chance to do things like that. I mean, I'm intrigued to see when fighter contract fighters' contracts come up in the UFC if they will go to have discussions with Bellator and try and, I guess, play both sides uh, against each other like Gil Melendez did to get his great deal. Yeah, yeah. And you, you brought up Brock Lesnar, pro wrestling. I know you were a pro wrestling fan back in the day, more so than you are now. But, but CM Punk was signed to the UFC. Um, I know, I've said this on a number of podcasts over the past couple of weeks, and I, I personally don't think it's fair with these guys that worked their whole lives to get to the big show, and this guy has no fights. He has no experience whatsoever other than some jujitsu and, and, as you said, kendo or kempo or whatever it was. Um, are, are you sh- not surprised, but do, are, do you have those same sort of feelings, or are you behind the whole CM Punk signing? My biggest problem with CM Punk signing is the fact that it's in the UFC. I think if I think if CM Punk wanted to do MMA and he was going to go and fight in Titan, I don't think I would have a real problem with that. But he's coming to the UFC, and to me, the UFC is that they're the number one promotion. That that's the ultimate proving ground in this sport right now. And to have this guy come in and with very limited training, and he's going to come in. Off, based almost entirely off his name. I mean, he's got a little bit of jujitsu, but hypothetically, I mean, he's done some jujitsu classes. He's done some striking. I mean, 
CM Punk is barely more qualified than me to step in an octagon. <laughs> and that's 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 ridiculous. No one would ever want to see me in an octagon. That's and I would never even I would never even put my name in the hat. But I think it's a scary thing that this guy's going to come in. He's going to be put on. He's going to get the promotion that he needs to. And I mean, I don't blame the UFC a whole lot for doing it. I mean, I know why they're doing it. I think it'll work. Um, their pay-per-view numbers have been down. They're trying to look for a spike. And I think at least for the first time, I think interest will be there. People are going to want to see what he can do or see him get beat up or whatever. I think that there will be a spike of maybe a hundred, maybe 200,000 pay-per-view buys. And Maybe that's worth it to them, but I think in a lot of ways that they're hurting their own company and they're making themselves. I mean, they're not too. If they're going to keep that up, they're not too far off from celebrity boxing. It would have made more sense for Bellator to have signed them with the whole, you know, sideshow sort of thing. Uh, you know, the way they did with Tito and Stefan Bonner. At least those two guys are MMA guys, but still, it's it's. It's not something that you see every day, a guy who gets signed to an organization with no fights. Do you think that, not just Bellator, but do you think maybe they should have put him through tough? That's a big one. I thought about that at the time. Um, I don't know if the if CM Punk would be a... I mean, the numbers on tough, even when they've done things like they put women on the show, they put Ronda Rousey on the show... Um, I mean, theoretically, she's one of their biggest stars, if not their biggest star. And then they put her on the show. There wasn't a really big spike in numbers. They put, they did the all women's uh, cast. The numbers were pretty disappointing for that one too. I think on Fox Sports One and on those platforms, numbers for the Ultimate Fighter have been down drastically. I don't think the that putting CM Punk on the show would be that much of a spike. Maybe, maybe for so maybe for the first one and maybe for when he fights, but I don't think it'd be a giant, giant spike to the point where it'd be really worth it all that much. So do you think he will be on a main card pay per view for his first yeah. fight? Yeah, I think I think it's likely that he'll be maybe third from the top um, on a on a pretty big pay per view, I think. I suspect. I think you'll have him under you'll have a title fight on top, you'll have a decent Kerme and then you'll have him underneath would be my would be my impression. Yeah, which has to piss which has to piss off the rest of the roster. Absolutely. If I if I if I were in the UFC right now, I would be furious that this guy's coming in and he's taking all the spotlight. I mean I mean every single outlet has covered every thought that he's had at this point and he's been getting a lot of publicity and he's been doing a lot of media rightfully so but i think that he's taking a spot away from uh, he's taking a spot away from someone and you put really you're taking away a fight that could be on a main card could be a valuable main card fight and give these two two young prospects some exposure and instead we're gonna have cm punk fight a guy who's probably 0-0 or 1-0 or he's probably he's gonna have to fight someone with a very little experience for his first fight yeah it's ridiculous all right this weekend we have ufc 182 and you know the whole media buzz sort of started for this bout with the jones cormier brawl do you think that these two really, really are as heated with each other as they seem to be, or is it just fight promotion? I think there's definitely some animosity there. 
Uh, I mean, I've had the chance to talk to Daniel Cormier in the past, and I think his his entire demeanor changes when you bring up John Jones. He there's there's something that changes about him when he does. So um, I definitely think there's some clear animosity between the two. And I'm just – honestly, as much as that was a lot of great promotion, um, they, they had that scuffle and they've used that. I mean, they said they weren't happy with that. They were really upset with that situation. But the UFC and their marketing team, they've, they've turned uh, – they've taken – Lemon, they've made lemonade with the promotional material they've done. They did a really good job with the Bad Blood series they just done. I think that they have done a really, really, really good job of taking that stuff and taking the off-air argument on ESPN and really creating hype for an event that I haven't seen in a long, long time. But beyond all that, I'm just stoked for the fight. I think it's it's a great fight. I mean, this is a fight that is getting me is will get me all giddy. Regardless of if they have any form of animosity towards each other, this is this. I'm I'm all for seeing the best fight the best, and in my opinion, these are the two best light heavyweights on the planet. And I just want to see what happens. That's that's what's got that's what's bringing me to the table, and what's going to bring everyone else to the table is going to be this animosity and this arguing. But I'm just ready for the fight. So, without the animosity, you are stoked for this fight. You're more stoked for this fight without all the lead-up, without all this mix-up and whatnot, then Jones-Gustafson too? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. I really, I was very much, I very much want to see the Gustafson fight again down the line. I love the first fight. I mean, I consider it one of the very best fights in history. It was fantastic, and I would love to see it again. But I, I really am intrigued by the by the Daniel Cormier fight. I mean, there's a lot of things about it. I mean, like J- John Jones, there were a lot of questions when he, he took the title at such a young age. And then all of a sudden, everyone w- they, there were questions that people wanted answered about him. Can he take a punch? Does he have a chin? And then, you know, Rampage hit him with some good shots. Rashad Evans hit him with some good shots. Then people were questioning, will he wilt under pressure? And then, like, he, he busted up his toe against Chow Sun and he still continued on he was stuck in that armbar with Vitor Belfort and he still soldiered on he went to hell and back in a five-round fight with Alex Gustafson and he got stronger as the fight got, went on so that's off the table so now there's only the stylistic things there there's not there's not really a question of oh, will he quit will he wilt there's really only the question of the stylistic matchup and can Daniel Cormier get inside can he take him down and I'm intrigued to find out that's basically the only way Daniel Cormier wins is either he is able to take him to the ground and keep him there somehow or land that big one punch shot. Do you agree? Yeah, I I think that I don't necessarily think he has to take him down. I think also if he muscles him up against the cage, he has to make this an ugly fight. Maybe this isn't going to be a fight of the year contender if he's going to win this thing, but I think he has to make this an ugly fight. He has to make this a real dog fight. He has to he has to muscle him against the cage. He needs to wear him down there. He needs to try and land trips, land takedowns, do whatever he can to get him to the floor and bust him up. I'm I very I personally I'm picking John Jones to win the fight, but I'm very very intrigued by Daniel Cormier and whether he can get this done. That's what I was going to ask you. You gave me your pick right there. I have heard a lot of pros, however, say that they're picking Daniel Cormier. Are you surprised at all by this? Not at all. I think I think it's I think we're looking at the clash of the two best, and I'm never going to be surprised when either side when people pick either side. All right, the co-main event: Donald Cerrone, Miles Jury. Jury being undefeated. Cerrone saying, you know, no, he's not because he lost in the Tough House. Um, who are you picking in this one, and and do you think it's um, 
obviously it's the biggest fight in Jury's career, but do you think he has what it takes to beat the likes of Donald Cerrone? I really, I'm really, really impressed with Miles Jury. I think I, I watched him on The Ultimate Fighter, and like most, I thought he was, I thought he was one of the best on the show. But he really, he really underperformed on the show, and I wasn't overly, overly thrilled with him. And then he's just steadily, steadily got better, um, and to the point where right now he's 26. He's he's 15 and 0 technically. Um, he's training with a really good camp down at Alliance, and he's just getting better and better and better and better. And he's 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 bolstered his record with some good wins over some tough veterans. Even if they're shop on, even if they're um, past their primes, wins over Diego Sanchez and Takanori Gomi are still worth something at this point. I think Miles Jury is a very, very good prospect, but I favored Donald Cerrone to get the win in this one. I think the blueprint to beat Donald Cerrone is to get in his face early. He's a slow starter. You have to bust him up early and you have to stay on him. And that's how that's how Alfredo Santos beat him. That's how uh, Nate Diaz beat him. That's how Anthony Pettis finished him. That's how people have got to Don Cerrone. And that's just not how I see Miles Jury fighting. He's very defensively minded. He's very, very got a, very much got a knife for the defense and he's going to look to counter a little bit. And I just don't think he. I just don't think he can really get to Donald Cerrone. I I suspect that Donald Cerrone will finish him probably within two rounds. How really? about yourself? Yeah, I I Miles Jury. The one thing that stands out to me with him in this fight is it could come down to the his footwork because he does really have that alliance style footwork. You know, the Alexander Gustafson style and the Dominic Cruz style. He really has come into his own with the way they flow and, and the fluidity around the cage. Yeah, one thing one else one other thing I I'd I'd like to point out here. I mean I'm just I've got uh I've got uh Don Cerrone's record up here. Um his five finder record right now. And I mean you look at his the the pace he's kept. I mean November he fought Evan Dunham, Adriano Martins in January, April Edson Barboza July, Jim Miller, September, Eddie Alvarez. Now he's coming in December, uh, sorry, in January, sorry, January, <laughs> and he's fighting Miles Jury. I mean, in a very, very short amount of time, he's racked up five fights. Um, I, I wonder if he will crash and burn if this is too much. I mean, he racked up so many, so, so many wins in 2011 and 2010, and then he got to that Nate Diaz fight and he just fell flat. I'm curious as to whether that will be a factor again as he comes in for his sixth fight in a little over a year against Miles Jury. I really hope not. But let's move along. Brad Tavares, Nate Marquardt in a middleweight clash. I sort of feel like this is a make-or-break fight for either one of these guys. I know Brad Tavares is is really young still. Nate Marquardt has had that big-time experience but has fallen flat. You know what I mean? Like, Do you agree that this could be make-or-break for either one of these guys? Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of people have been questioning uh, questioning Nate Marquardt and his chin. I mean, he came back to the UFC, and I think his first two losses were by knockout to Jake Allenberger and Hector Lombard. And since then, he's come back. He's beat Jamie Tahuna, and I guess steered his uh, steered his career in the in the right direction, if nothing else. But at this point, he's thirty five. He's been fighting forever. I mean, he's, he made his debut still in the nineties. I mean, late like ninety nine when he debuted. He's been in this game a long, long time. He's fought some of the best. He's been around. He was a top, he was a top welterweight. Uh, sorry, top middleweight. Now he's trying to make a run as a welterweight. I think a lot of this question comes down to how this fight comes down to how much 
Nate Marquardt has left in the tank. I think that a a a Nate Marquardt of a few years ago, I think, would beat Brad Tavares, probably win a decision. But if he's as shop-worn as some suggest, maybe Brad Tavares gets this one. Interesting. I, I'm going to skip over the flyweight match unless you want to speak about it in a few minutes. But I want to talk about the welterweight bout between Hector Lombard and Josh Berkman. Berkman coming back to the UFC in this bout, and they're sort of they're pretty much feeding him to the wolves. Um, Lombard looking to capture another victory and, and move up the ladder against pretty much the only guy that would accept a fight with him. Um, do you give Berkman any chance in this? Because I think Lombard is going to just walk all over him. Yeah, I think the same. I I think that Josh Berkman is a good fighter. I think he's he's been around a long time. He's had an up and down career, and I think some. I think I think actually he's been in recent times of the past two years. I think he's had some of his best performances of his entire career, being Aaron Simpson and John Fitch and Gerald Harris. Some good. He's picked up some good wins in that time. But at this point, I think Hector Lombard is a scary welterweight. I think that I mean everyone keeps saying about how no one wants to fight him, and I don't blame. Them. Them because he is a he's a very very tough fight. I think he can beat a lot of people in that division. There are only a handful of people I wouldn't pick him pick him to uh, beat. And he's stuck in a position where he's ranked lower. He's not ranked high enough that people want to use him as a stepping stone. But he's at a point where. Basically, he, he needs wins over those top five guys, and a lot of them don't want to take that fight right now. And he's in a tough spot, but I think he should probably finish Josh Berkman, probably do it within a, within a round. I spoke with Lombard last week, and, and he said that he um, wants to finish this one quickly. He wants to put on a, a show for everyone in Vegas, and then he'd like to fight again before... Uh, making his way to Australia and fighting on that card in November. That's a card that would be huge for, for uh, Lombard to fight on, eh? Yeah, Hector, I mean, I mean, I don't know if you've ever spoken to him about it. He considers himself an Australian. He's had a citizenship for like six years now. He considers himself Australian, even though he's technically Cuban. Um, I mean, he's, I guess he, he grew up in Australia, and he's he, he considers himself an Australian. And it, definitely a big thing for him. I mean, he angled pretty heavily to get on the uh the card in sydney last november and i definitely think that i definitely think they'll find a home for him on that card and hopefully i'd like to see him in a really impactful fight the kind of fight that's a title eliminated type fight but you never really know in that welterweight division there's just so many good so many good contenders and you've you know, it looks like we're likely getting the rematch between Robbie Lawler and Johnny Hendricks over the trilogy fight, I must say. So that ties up the division a little bit longer, and then you've got Robbie Lawler waiting. Uh, you got Rory McDonald's waiting in the wings. So very much a tied-up division right now. But. I don't know if you listen to the fighter and the kid, but uh, Brendan Schaub seems to think, and, and obviously there's no inside information on this, but th his thoughts, his general thoughts, are that if Lombard wins this fight, he could likely see a fight against Rory McDonald. Do you think that matchup happens? I'd love to see it. I definitely think it'd be a. I'd love to see it. I think it's a really, really, really good fight. I have a. I have a lot of faith in. I actually think that. Rory McDonald is going to be holding the UFC Welterweight Championship before too long. Um, I probably would have picked him to beat Robbie Lawler, strange as it is. 
um, if they went to that fight for the title. Um, I, I, really, I really would like to see that is basically my only yeah. thing. <laughs> no kidding. Now, the, this whole fight card, UFC 182, this Saturday night, is... It's a great fight card. What what other fights on this on this uh, card are you interested in watching? Do you have your palate wet for um, other than the main card fights? Yeah, I think there's a good undercard. I mean, not uh, nothing that really. I mean, it's not like it's. I mean, uh, people have referred to this as a throwback card and uh, to back in the day when this was uh, when the UFC was, I guess, at their peak and running a lot less shows in the 2008-10 range. Um, I don't, definitely don't think it's like that in terms of the undercards. I mean, I think there's some good fights on this undercard. I definitely am intrigued to see Evan Dunham and Rodrigo Dam. I think Evan Dunham was – I mean, you remember Evan Dunham. Evan Dunham was the key prospect. There was a time where Evan Dunham seemed destined to hold the UFC lightweight championship. And it's just right now he's – lost four of his past five with his lone win to Gleason Tebow, and that's a good win in its own right. But at this point, lost four of his last five. And really since the uh, since the uh, close loss to Sean Shirk, I don't think we've ever seen the same fighter again. Yeah, I agree. I, I think also on this card, though, people are are sort of sleeping on, on the preliminary card because they don't know who a few of these guys are. Like, Sean Jordan, obviously, people know who they are, but they don't know his opponent, Jared Cannonier, who is undefeated. Danny Castillo, everyone knows who he is, but he's fighting Paul Felder, who is also undefeated. So these are two guys could, who, who could beat guys that have a stable name for themselves inside the octagon and continue to be undefeated, and then they'll build a name for themselves. Yeah, I, don't, I definitely think it's a bad undercard. Um, I think there's a, there's a lot of interesting fights there, but I think I think that it's really hard to get noticed on an undercard like this. But just because there's so much intrigue at the top, one thing I want to throw out, just because I didn't, I didn't, I was going to ask you this earlier, and I didn't ask you, so I, I'm just to, just to sidetrack a little bit. Um, Jones Cormier, do you consider that the biggest fight in UFC history? Uh, lead up wise, possibly, I, I think it's getting built by the UFC as one of the biggest fights in UFC history. Um, yeah, at this point in my mind, I, I think it could be. What are your thoughts on that? I definitely think, I think it is. I think that, I mean, I look to some of the bigger, the other candidates that would, I'd consider for the biggest fight in UFC history, like Lesnar Mir 2, uh, looking at, Silver Sun into the couple of those big big fights. I mean, I don't. I never had the anticipation for those fights the way that I did. I think this fight has it ticks all boxes. It has from the promotional uh, aspect, and it also has from the competitive aspect, and it has the fact that these two are the best. I mean, I think it ticks all boxes. It's it's everything I'd like in a in a in a prize fight. So I think I I'm happy to say it's the biggest fight in UFC history. And then they're coming up. With Silva Diaz, which is a huge fight in UFC history as well. Yeah, that's a great fight too. I mean, like that, that's. I mean, I I know what people don't want to give the super fight tag to that, but I mean, I don't know if there's there needs to be another tag that we can create. But I mean, that's that's that's. I think it's fair to call that a dream fight. Yeah, I that's mean, as big, that, that's as big a fight as you can get. Maybe it doesn't tick all the boxes because stylistically Anderson Silva should kick the shit out of Nick Diaz but 
for fun factor and build up and all that stuff, man, it's as big a fight as the UFC could ever make. Yeah, I mean, I think I think George St. Pierre, Anderson Silva, I think that I think that would be worthy of the super fight tag. Um, but there, there are, I mean, there aren't a lot of them they can make that don't involve sacrificing a champion at this point. So I think I think if if it's not a super fight, it's definitely a dream fight. All right, Justin, man, it's it's been a pleasure having you on the show today. Um, just sort of let people know what your plans are for 2015, if anything else is coming up that uh, our listeners should be uh, on the lookout for. Nothing of major no, man. All the same. I'm just writing about fighting, doing my thing. Uh, if you guys want to follow me, I'm at Justin Fox MMA on Twitter, F-A-U-X for Fox. And, yeah, MMA Canvas, Canvas with a K, and that's it, man. Perfect, buddy. I, I hope you have a great New Year's Eve and, and all the best in 2015. You too, you too. Anytime you anytime you ever want me back on, just send me a message. I'll be happy to do it. That was awesome to talk to Justin Fox again. Thanks to him for joining me today to talk about the year that was 2014 and UFC 182. I'm going to spit out all four of these interviews all in a row there will be a bell sounding in between each of the interviews. I will have Michelle Watterson, followed by Josh Gao, followed by Uncle Creepy himself, Ian McCall, and rounding things out, Ryan Jimmo are my four favorite interviews from this year. Man, there were so many to choose from, but these four stole the show. So they will be up, and then following that, I will head out the show with the outro. Joining me on the line right now is the Invicta FC Atomweight champion, the karate hottie herself, Michelle Watterson. Michelle, thanks for taking the time today to do this. Woohoo! Thank you for having me. <laughs> now, going back in time, I, I noticed that you began your uh, your journey in this sport as a ring card girl. And uh, from that first <laughs> night on, you wanted to get into the sport itself rather than flaunt yourself around the cage just sort of explain your process of getting into mma to our listeners who might not know well you know i've, I've been doing martial arts since i was 10 but when i was in when i was in college i worked part-time um as, as a hooters girl and um you know i would take little jobs here and there just for, for extra cash and one of those jobs was um being a ring girl and um i, I was really intrigued by um the fact that it wasn't boxing, you know, in the ring, it was MMA, and they could use kicks, and they could go to the ground, and I thought it would be something really cool to um, do myself, and I asked the promoter, you know, if they ever had any women's fighters, and he kind of looked at me and laughed, and <laughs> was like, you're a girl, <laughs> but uh, um, that's actually where I met Donald Cerrone, and um, I, I, I kind of expressed some interest to him that I was interested in fighting, and um, he kind of brushed me off, but a couple of weeks later, I guess a fight had fallen through on this amateur card, and uh, Donald came to my work and asked me, uh, he just left me a note and said, you know, if you're serious about training, get your ass in the gym, and, you know, from from there on, I was hooked, and um, uh, I, I started really getting a lot more involved in the more combative side of martial arts. Yeah, you, you, your career has flourished, definitely. You're currently on a five-fight winning streak. Um, you've climbed your way to the top, which included your most recent victory against Jessica Panay for the Atomweight title. That fight was in April of 2013. What have you been doing with your time over the past year and a half? 
you know, the usual drinking. <laughs> yeah, I've been spending a lot of time uh, getting better, you know, after you get the championship. Well, like, I, I, you feel like you, there's this target on your head because there really is, you know, everybody's getting for you just like I was getting for Jessica. And, and so I had no time to slack. I needed to get better. And I, I've been working at Shakespeare Disney. I've been working on wrestling and just working on becoming an all-around better fighter. Speaking of uh, no slack, uh, I heard in your interview with Ariel Helwani, as well as most recently MMAJunkie.com, a second child was in your mindset. Um, you obviously had enough time for that to happen in this layoff. Would that, would that have changed your entire outlook on the sport to have another little one running the, around the house? It would Seriously, if I could have had a baby right after um, that win and come back into the sport, it it would have been pretty amazing on my part. I mean, uh, but you know that just wasn't in the cards for me, and uh, I I joke about it because now that I do have a family, um, you know, my daughter's getting older, and I do want another one. Um, but the like the dilemma is she's getting older. What's that age range going to be? I'm just now hitting my stride as a fighter. And, um, you know, Women's MMA is just now, like, hitting the mainstream um, like we'd always wished it would. And so, you know, put, uh, having a kid right now at the time is just would not make any sense. Um, so, you know, it could have happened, but it didn't. And you know, everything happened for a reason, so here I am. Exactly. So the kid didn't happen, but in that year and a half... I'm sure you had a lot of time to ponder what happened in that fight against Jessica. Yes, you pulled off a huge upset and nabbed a sweet armbar victory, but there were some iffy moments throughout the first three and a half rounds. Your thoughts? I I think it led for a great championship fight. Uh, I feel like it was a lot of back and forth, and I feel like, um, I feel like, uh, you know, at the end of the day, both of us were uh, great athletes, and I think equally talented uh, when it comes to you know our technique and skill. But at the end of the day, I feel like I had um, the more will. I, I was the one that came out uh, um, victorious because I had the will to push through the, that uh, adversity. Definitely. Now she's gone on to do the Ultimate Fighter season twenty as a hundred and five pounder. How do you think she'll fare? in the 115-pound division, especially if she ends up winning the show, she'll have to stay at that weight class as there's nothing lower in the UFC. Well, I think that Jessica will be just fine. She's a really big 105-er to begin with. You know, she did fight at 115 for a long time. And um, to be honest with you, I think uh, probably half the girls in the show probably could fight at 105. Um, Jessica's probably bigger than some of the girls in the show. And so I don't think she'll have a problem there. Uh, so, yeah, we'll see how, how this show pans out for her. Now, your upcoming opponent, Yasuko Tamada, feels... She told us at MMASucker.com, we had an interview with her, um, feels like this is a huge opportunity to fight on American soil. It's her first time doing that. What can she expect out of you when she stares at the karate hottie across the cage? Um, you know, I'm, I'm really eager to get back in the cage. And so, you know, I'm hungry and, uh, and this is my first child of defense. So I've been training really hard to, you know, I don't want to let, let that belt go, especially, um, 
to, to somebody that doesn't live in the States. <laughs> you know, I gotta keep that belt here <laughs> in America. <laughs> now, this is this is your first time in the cage, we said, in a long time. Um, it, with Invicta FC sort of going through a growth spurt and, and being on UFC Fight Pass, uh, do you feel like you, you'll be a lot more active in there than, than you have been more recently? I definitely hope so. You know, after um, having talked with Shannon and, and, you know, some of the guys from the UFC Fight Pass, I know that they're going to be trying to, to do Invicta fights more regularly, which is, more, which is exciting not only for me but for all the other girls, you know, that are um, signed to the Invicta roster. Now, being in the atomweight division, I'm sure there aren't too many people at uh, Jackson Winklejohn that are your size. Uh, who are your main training partners, and, and do you spar with the men? I mean, guys like, uh, you know, John Dodson and stuff. Yeah, definitely. John is one of my great uh, training partners. And there are also a lot of uh, his um, his little brother, his little big brother. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I train with him a lot, and, um, you know, there's a lot of up-and-comers that are, that are smaller. As, as far as the guys go. But, yeah, um, Dodi Escabel is another 105-er that's at the gym. And then we also have Celine Haga, who came over. Um, she's actually from Norwegian. Norwegian? Norwegian? She's Norwegian. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, uh, Norway. There you go. So, And she's actually a 105-er, too. And uh, we have and then Emily Keegan. She's a 115-er. So there's actually... A good group of girls that are my size that uh, you know I can get in there and scrap with. But um, then we have Holly Holm, who's a uh, 135er, and uh, another friend of mine, uh, Noemi uh, Dennison, who's 115. So we actually got a good group of girls that are my size and, and that we can actually go and it, it be relatively competitive as far as like size goes. I guess. No kidding, that makes things a lot easier. And the reason I ask if you train with with the fellas is because. We saw what happened to Juliana Pena when she was training with an overzealous male partner. Has there ever been a problem training with the men for you? No, 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 not at all. Uh, you know, when it's funny when you have a, a gym like Jackson's, uh, there's always a guy uh, that are, that's new that wants to get in there and, and prove a point. You know, sometimes there's there's so many people rotating through that they, they feel like they need to do something. And I remember when I, uh, you know, first started training at Jackson, um, there was a guy that was going just a little too hard uh, with a little, they call me Peanut, you know, at the gym. So the guy was going a little too hard with Peanut. So um, we we got these other guys, and, and we call them the regulators. So then we just put them in with the regulators the next round and, and straightened them out right away. <laughs> nice. That's perfect. Now... You spoke about uh, Jody being at the gym. Obviously, you have veteran of the sport Tara LaRosa at the gym. Um, what's it like to have training partners peak with you for the same card? Because they're going to be on this Invicta FC 8 card as well. It's great. It kind of gives you a sense of comfort knowing that you're not the only one going through the motions and that um, you know it's nice to be able to go through those emotions with somebody else You know, when you're having a bad day. You don't feel too bad when somebody else is having a bad day, too, you know. Or, or, you know, sometimes they might be having a bad day, and and I'm the one there helping, you know, helping get their spirits up and vice versa. So it's nice to be able to have have, uh, those people to go go to camp with. You know, we're we're all going really hard for these last eight weeks, and it's going to be 
going to be a great night. Just two more inter- or two more uh, questions here for you, Michelle, before we let you go. I've heard in previous interviews with you that you're beyond stoked about the UFC's partnership with Invicta being on UFC Fight Pass. Has the fact that your fight will be featured on Fight Pass garnered any extra interest in sponsors? You know, I, I've i been trying not to focus too much on that just because it deters my attention away from um, training. Um, but I, I think so. I think there are a lot more people interested, um, you know, in um, sponsoring the women's um, MMA now that they're picked up by UFC Fight Pass. But I think the real momentum is going to happen after this uh, fight card uh, happens and and people see, um, you know, what great of a turnout um, it is. And I think that's when it will pick up. Now, finally, I ask all the male fighters on the show this. um, I ask them, because they're so tough, what movie was the last movie that made them cry? I'm not going to ask you that. I'm going to flip the table on you and ask you what your favorite action movie is. My favorite action movie? Well, it's like kind of like my favorite movie of all time. I don't know if you consider it an action movie, but um, Braveheart is like one of my favorite. And is that an action movie? I'd say, I'd say it is. <laughs> so can you do an, yeah, uh, a Mel Gibson impression movie. there or what? Yeah, I love you. Always have. Always <laughs> will. <laughs> she is Michelle Watterson. She's taking on Japanese veteran Yasuko Tamada in the main event at Invicta FC 8 on Saturday, September 6th. You can catch the action live on UFC Fight Pass. Thanks a bunch for joining me today, Michelle. And, and just let people know where they can get a hold of you in the social media universe. If anybody's interested in uh, following my day-to-day life, I'm most active on Instagram, and it's at Karate Hottie MMA. Good luck this Saturday, Michelle. Thank you. He trains at Sick Jitsu in Spokane, Washington, with some of the UFC's brightest young talent. Please welcome Josh Gow to Sucker Radio. Josh, thanks for joining me today, man. Uh, I'm doing all right. How are you? I- I'm pretty good. Now, before we get to the nitty-gritty, just let people know who Josh Gow is. Plug yourself. Let our listeners know how you got into the sport of mixed martial arts. I started in about 2009. I um, started doing amateur fights. Um, I'm a professional now. I joined Sick Jitsu. A um, couple fights before I turned pro, like four fights before I turned pro. Um, and I've loved it ever since. We have a very family environment and everything, and I think we're doing really good. Now, let's get to the task at hand. Your name came into the mix this past week when it was announced that you were the training partner of Juliana Pena when she severely injured her knee. Just, Just give your side of the story because we have heard Numerous people explain it, and yours will definitely be first-hand knowledge. Juliana texted me, and I saw at the gym, and I told, told her, yeah, and uh, she came in, got ready to go, and asked her if it was ready, and we started rolling. This was our first round. Um, we weren't but about two minutes into it. This was just submission wrestling, grappling, rolling, whatever you want to call it, and uh, I took back position off the wall, and as we were falling away from the wall, um, you know, with my hooks in her, she was supporting my weight as I was going for an RNC, and her knee twisted in a weird way, and and then where are where we are today? It was absolutely terrible. What what's was the it, what's the difference in size between you two? Some people might wonder this. Uh, we fight. Uh, Juliana and I fight at the same weight class. We're both one thirty fivers. 
And and there was not was there anything different during this training session compared to your normal training sessions with her? Uh, no, not at all. I trained with Jules on a very regular basis. Um, we were just going in there. It was a submission grappling, you know, bout, and th- there was nothing different. It was, you know, it was slow pace. It was the first round, and it, it was a freak accident that, you know, that that's all it was. There's really nobody that can explain it. It's a, it was a freak accident at the gym. Now, some people said that it, it might have been that she wasn't warmed up, and, and do you know if this was the case? We just, she came in and we just got, got right after it, you know, uh, you know, she, Juliana works hard. She's always working out. So I can't, I can't really say for sure. Now, where do you think Dana White's story came from? Because he, he's, he said things Um, like, he said things like, you know, she should leave sick jitsu. The place is toxic. Do you think Juliana made it up or, or did he sort of construe what she said? I I really don't know and can't right now um i i just don't think jiu-jitsu should have gotten drug under the radar you know uh you know we dance on top of the fence every day and you know if we fall off and get hurt it shouldn't be a surprise to anyone including us um it's you know i know he said she was hysterical i don't i don't know what julie said or you know how that story got about now what do what were your thoughts when he said the gym was toxic? Because obviously, there are other UFC fighters that train at Sick Jitsu. Oh, I think he was completely wrong. We have a very good gym. You know, we're very, we're very together as a gym. You know, we have maybe an odd way of doing stuff, but you know, we produce three UFC fighters, and you know, we're obviously doing something right. Definitely. Now, Juliana has actually cornered you. Uh, I, I saw her up here in Vancouver with you when you fought for Battlefield Fight League, what was all this talk about you razzing her about her ultimate fighter jersey and stuff? Was that just, was that misconstrued as well? Oh, for sure, yeah. If anything, you know, she she hadn't worn it very often and it it made her look, you know, very strong. It wasn't a, it, it was nothing. I guess that was just, would have been what you'd call small talk or anything if I had a gym humor. <laughs> now, have you reached out to her yet? And, and how is she doing? You know, I don't know. Um, I haven't reached out to her. Uh, you know, I'm sure she's pretty upset about this this accident. You know, it's a catastrophic thing. It's got to be just horribly devastating. You know, I can't imagine having it happen. Um, so I I don't know how she's doing emotionally. I know she's going to have a doctor's appointment down in Los Angeles, um, or I think so. She has a doctor's appointment here soon, and, and she's going in for surgery on her knee. Well, well, that's good news that she's going to be getting checked out and stuff like that. Do you, do you feel like this could? I mean, you're three and zero as a professional fighter, correct? Yes. Do you feel like this? I mean, you you got fights coming up, I'm sure. Um, obviously, your overall goal is to get to the UFC. Do you think this puts your name in, in sort of a sticky situation, or do you not think of that at all? I mean, it does, and that's that's what I'd like to clear up, or would have liked to have already had cleared up. Um, you know, I want my name to be pronounced as a good way, not to be, you know, remembered as somebody that, you know, hurt my training partner, you know, or that was in an accident with my training partner. This, it's, it's gotten blown out of proportion, and I, I really think it's pretty horrible of the media to set somebody out as an attacker and not to get all the facts before, you know, 
coming out with all this stuff. And that's exactly why we wanted to get you on the show. Obviously, your opinion on w- training with women and men at the same time. I mean, Juliana came in there, and it was said that she came in full bore. She was part of the team as it was. Obviously, your opinion on her hasn't changed at all. No, I mean, Juliana Pena is my friend, for sure. Now, do you do you have any final words on the the whole situation that you'd just like to get out there to our listeners? No, not really. This was a, a freak training accident, and it... You know, it, it happens in gyms, and it and it really, really sucks. And it's really horrible that it happened to our gym and to our, our little star athlete, Juliana. Now let's get on to, uh, uh, okay, enough about Juliana. Let's talk about you a little bit before we let you go. As I said, you've fought up here in Vancouver in the past for Battlefield Fight League. Will we see you up here again with that promotion? Uh, maybe sometime, yeah. It was pretty hard getting into Canada and getting all our, you guys require a lot more blood work and stuff um, up there and a lot. A lot of odd things that we don't require as much over here. So, But other than that, you know, your atmosphere was good and everything. So it's not something I'm opposed to at all. Do you have another fight lined up uh, in the not-so-distant future? Uh, yeah, I have a fight scheduled for this Saturday, actually, in Anacortes. Nice. Uh, who are you fighting and what's the organization? Just sort of plug it. Uh, I'm fighting for Koga and uh, I'm fighting Anthony Zender. Nice, man. Now, obviously, you're from Spokane, Washington, as we said. How about them Seahawks? Were you able to party at all? Uh, I mean, you said you sure. fight on Saturday night. Were you able to enjoy the festivities? Oh, I mean, I yeah, I had some chicken. There's a, there's my That was my healthy meal. Um, yeah, go Hawks, for sure. Uh, it was kind of a blowout. I was a little disappointed with the Broncos not doing anything, but... <laughs> Definitely. I mean, we're Seahawks fans up here in Vancouver as well. But, I mean, even though it was a blowout, it's pretty cool to see your home team win uh, the Super Bowl. Oh, for sure, yeah. There's no doubt at all, especially the first time in Seahawks history. So, uh, way to take that one home. Definitely. Now, he is Josh Gao. He's a sick jitsu fighter, as we said. Thanks a lot for joining me today, man, to clear the air on, on this whole uh, I mean, catastrophic situation. Just let people know where people can get a hold of you in the social media universe. Joshua Gal on Facebook or Gal Power at Twitter or at Joshua Gal MMA. Perfect, man. Cheers and all the best on Saturday night in your fight. And I'm extremely sorry that this this whole thing happened. And and definitely all the best for 2014, man. Yeah, I hope Juliana's injury gets cleared up fast and she's back at it as soon as she can. Thanks a lot, Josh. All right. This guy is fighting in Uberlandia, Brazil, this Saturday against John Lineker. Please welcome one of our favorite guests, Uncle Creepy himself, Ian McCall. Ian, thanks for joining me today, man. No worries, man. Anytime. Now, we were texting last night, late last night, and you told me you missed your first flight to Brazil and didn't get in until <laughs> what's coincidentally uber late. Um, why the missed flight? Well, no, I missed my last flight. <laughs> I uh, Because TSA people are... I mean, like, at first, you know, everyone's like, oh, it's a language barrier. You know, you just don't speak the language. Well, there was a family of Brazilian, you know, a Brazilian family in front of us that got bad information too and they were they weren't so happy with this guy so basically we sh- we showed him the paperwork he made it sit in this line for two hours and then i realized what time it was and then we got to the front and they're like oh wrong line go upstairs we went upstairs and they're like oh your flight's already gone so 
we yeah. <laughs> then we had to, we we had to take an extra flight to Belo Horizonte and just it, it was it added an extra like ten hours to our day. Jeez, with this fight, it, I mean, this will be your second time out of your last three fights fighting in Brazil. Um, do you like this, or or does it get a tad bit out of your comfort zone? Uh, you know, is it a good thing to fight outside of the United States? It's definitely out of my comfort zone. Um, it sucks, you know, but it is what it is. You know, I just kind of chalk it up as it's part of my job and just learn to laugh about it. Laughing. <laughs> One thing that's not laughable is is the flyweight division right now. I heard you on the MMA Hour last week. Um, and saying no one cares about the flyweight division and, and even comparing champion Demetrius Johnson to your coffee mug. Um, I thought about this a little bit over the week, and do you not put as much blame on the UFC for not promoting your division, your division's bouts as much as, say, the heavyweights or the middleweights or, or other weight classes? Oh, of course. It, a lot of it falls on them. They don't really, you know, they don't promote us. But you have to be promotable to have them promote you. And, you know, back to the coffee mug, you know, he's not very promotable. But, so. <laughs> and, and you are, that's the thing though, you are promotable. And as, as they said on the, the MMA hour as well, this is the co-main event, but you're not getting pushed as the co-main event. No, uh, it's really confusing. It's a weird paradox right in here. I mean, it definitely sucks, but it's just, I don't know. It's, it's a confusing situation. Does it, it pisses you off? Of course. <laughs> now, you also spoke about the women getting more promotion than you and, and that you're twice the fighter as them. Do you honestly think that you could beat any of the female talent that's in the UFC? That's not a question. I mean, they're women. <laughs> like, I guess on. it is I a mean, question. We, I mean, we, we, some of them are women, I guess. I mean, <laughs> Ronda Rousey's mean, Rousey saying Cyborg is not much of a woman. Well, you know, that that's a... It's a slippery slope when you talk about fighting women, um, but like it, it's it's just like I mean you can bring, bring you can bring it down to like physics and science like you know it's it's not a good matchup. Let's just put it that way. There you go. <laughs> like for me to go up and for me to have to go up and wait and to fight <clears throat> to fight like you know a Ronda Rousey or something that's it's not even comparable. You know they're you know, look at the Olympics, look at you know, every single other sport on the planet. Like, men are just more athletic. You know, it's 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 our, it's our genetic makeup, and I'm not being a dick. You know, it's just it's just how it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Your upcoming opponent, John Lineker, obviously has missed, has had a really tough time making weight in his outings, not just once or twice, but three, three or four times. Does this bother you, or is or is it just another fight? It's just another fight, you know. He's a dangerous opponent, and I'm going to keep rem reminding him that, you know, he sucks at cutting weight and that he, you know, looks like looks like a monkey version of Kermit the Frog and he can't throw punches in, in, a, in a direct, you know, correlating line from point A to point B. Um, but that's just me being a dick, and that's just having fun with it. You know, it's it's part of my job to stir up trouble. When you know when when you when UFC comes calling and goes, uh, we haven't sold any tickets. Can you can you cause some trouble? I'm like, okay. <laughs> Are you surprised though that this guy, having not made weight so many times, that he's still employed by the UFC? 
No, because you know we're in such a such a silly weight class. You know, it's like, and he's good. You know, when he does actually fight, he's putting people to sleep or putting people. You know, um, take them out. So it, it's it's a it's a it's a funny spot he's in because you know he he's he's very old Brazilish. You know, like he he perfect example of old school Brazil. Fighting, you know, he he just the way he fights. Minus the jujitsu thing, I don't even know if he knows what jujitsu is, but um, <laughs> I believe he's a blue belt. So <laughs> uh, good, good for him. That's cute. Being Brazilian, you'd think he'd be higher than a blue belt. Yeah, but I mean, I'm only a purple belt, and you see what I do to other purple belts, like Brad Pickett. You know, like true. It's you know, it's it's, it's it, it it doesn't come down to uh, I don't. It's it's tough because I don't put a gi on enough, and I haven't earned my my brown belt or my black belt, you know, um, the proper way. You know, like my coach is very proper. That's how you do it. He could be incredible at jujitsu. Um, he's not, but he could be. You know, I'm just saying, to, making an example, but uh, you know, it's he's you know got got a subpar jujitsu and. Subpar wrestling, but he makes up for it in this, you know, pretty hard punches he throws. So, in your mind, how do you how do you visualize this fight playing out? Uh, a bunch of swinging and a bunch of missing, and then a bunch of me hitting him. Um, and if he doesn't topple over after that, then I'm gonna put him on his back and kind of, you know, show the world how good my ground and pound really is. Because I, I haven't shown it every time I do put someone on the back or I'm like. Um, I've just embarrassed everybody, but I don't do it enough, you know, especially in a fight like this. I need to get it over with because I could very well not get a title shot after this. I could very well get swept under the rug and have to fight whoever. So I just need to go out there, get my job done, go home, you know, see my family and wait for the call for a fight. So does that put a, a, a bit of more pressure on you to actually finish this guy? Oh, of course. No, I haven't finished it, but I've seen it. For sure. It's not embarrassing. It is embarrassing. And you you talk about ground and pound. You talk about getting a guy on their back. I mean, you had Demetrius flat on his face and you were pounding him out. When you get this victory, a third fight between you and Demetrius should be in place. Um, I saw you put on the SureDog forums, or someone put on the SureDog forums, the gif of you pounding Demetrius out there. Uh, what would you do differently in that outing other than obviously winning? Um, I, you know, I like to blame it on Dana. Um, he gave me some cheesy pre-fight speech to hype me up to, you know, not be a flash in the pan and and to, uh, you know, impress the world. And I just, you know, want to use it as an excuse because it was my own fault <laughs> for not just for not just finishing him. But you know, I was just trying to have a good time and. Apparently, me having a good time doesn't mean me winning, so I need to go out there and, and just try to hurt somebody. Now, Demetrius has been such a dominant champ since that last outing with him that, that you fought. Um, what's the motivation that keeps driving you in the face of such an obstacle? Obviously, the belt, but what other things? Oh, I mean, money. <laughs> I, I, I have mouths to feed, you know, and I don't... I, uh, we're all underpaid, but I, I don't have a real job. I, I get to travel the world and getting you know fist fights for a living so it's 
it's cool. You know, I, I enjoy it. But realistically, I need to make some money and save up and, you know, think about, you know, other stuff like my life. <laughs> you know, I need to, you need to have, you know, be financially secure in life uh, realistically if you want to, you know, move on, especially after fighting. You know, so the more I can win, the more money I can make and, you know, business opportunity to make for myself. It's, uh, you know, that's a plus. Do you have a plan for after fighting? Not a concrete one. You know, there's a lot of ideas, but nothing's nothing's set in stone. I'm not going to rush into it. I'm just going to keep plugging away at this and see if I can, you know, build a legacy, get a title, something, you know, stuff like that. Now, the last time MMA Suck a Chat with you was an interview done by the fantastic Rick Lee. And you broke the news of your divorce back then, but judging by your social media as of late, you have someone very special in your life at the moment, and you seem to be happier than ever. Um, but you told me you're always grumpy, so uh, does this make life and everything else in your life that much easier, having this special person in your life? Oh, of course. You know, I, that's like my lawyer always says, you know, will you marry her? <laughs> You know, so, and that was just a a bit of a hiccup in my life. Um, but yeah, now it's just a better, a better place with better people and all around, uh, just better. I'm just happier. You know, the people around me are happier because the situations that I project on everyone else, you know. How's your, uh, little one doing? She's doing good. You know, she's back at home. I'm sure just being a three-year-old girl you know bossing everybody around just having a great time (laughs) finally i have to talk about the mustache it's really taken on a life of its own it's on your t-shirts people are trying to grow theirs just like you um we are in the month of november so what exactly do you think of november and this movement are these people that are growing their mustaches out just for the month posers or, or is it a proper celebration of the facial hair Oh, it's a proper celebration, you know, and people always bring it up. Well, I, obviously, I, I've had a mustache for like five years now, um, but I didn't shave my beard purely as an excuse not to shave my beard um, and use November. And then my girlfriend said it looks sexy, so I'm just I'm just being lazy because everything else in my life is so <laughs> is pushing so hard that I, I I do have a full beard now and the mustache. There you go. He is Ian McCall. He'll take on John Lineker for number one contender status. Hopefully in the UFC's flyweight division this Saturday night live on UFC Fight Pass. Good luck, buddy, and uh, just shout out any of your sponsors and friends if you want to right now. Thank you. I have uh, Layrite, which is a which is the greatest hair product ever. Um, they're the ones that make me look so handsome. I have Dynamic Fastener, Affliction, Hookah John. Um, you know, th- these are the tools that kind of set me apart from the rest and. Uh, you know, it, it, it's these are the, the the people that are you know pushing me and and they're paying me, so it's always a plus. <laughs> it's nice to have people want to pay you to be awesome. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> Thanks a bunch, Ian. It's always a blast having you on the show, and have fun this Saturday night, man. I will always do. Joining me now is one of Canada's most decorated light heavyweights. He is the former former MFC champ and ties the record for fastest knockout in the UFC at 7 seconds. Please welcome the big deal, Ryan Jimmo to Sucker Radio. Ryan, man, thanks for joining me today. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here, man. 
Now let's cut right to the chase. Over the past several days, you've had ha you've had what seems like a lot of animosity on Twitter. Um, I hit you up yesterday to get you on the show, so you could just give us more information on what what's been going on, and and basically tell us why all this animosity. Well, you, you know what? Um, I, I'm sure everyone's aware that uh, the the lawsuit is, is is happening with the UFC, so. Um, I wouldn't call what I, I have animosity. I, I was a little bit angry about some of the the UFC gave me. Um, that, but that was just kind of like the straw that broke the camel's back, you know. So fighters have been getting not treated so well uh, on a financial front, on a personal front for some time. So some of these things have to change within the sport, or it's going to be imposed on itself. And it's already starting to do that with lawsuits, you know, um, with what's happened with Nate Quarry and uh, Kung Lee, as well as John Fitch. So I'm looking at it as a, a long-term thing, not just for myself, um, but for younger fighters coming up. Like, you don't want the younger generation to get taken advantage of, you know, like, you know, a good portion of my generation got taken advantage of, or, or get severely underpaid for something that you put years and years and years in of blood, sweat, and tears, you know. It's a dangerous job, and I just want to see an improved situation for, you know, all fighters all around the world, you know, and sometimes you just gotta like, you know, you know, bang a few puffs together to get some attention so that you can be heard. And then that's some of those sweets I did before that. Yeah, for sure. Now you say, you know, blood, sweat, and tears. You've worked your entire career to get to the UFC. Yet I've seen people tweeting things like, so Ryan Jimmo's trying to get fired, right? What do you, what do you have to say to that? Yeah, yeah, so, so uh, the, the thing that I think people are, are, are mistaken for, it's like, oh, you're not a company man, you don't want to be there. I do want to be in UFC. And the fact that I'm trying to make a little bit of noise about this, I think proves it more than someone who's just going to be in agreement. I want to see the situation for fighters improve. I want to see, um, I want the UFC to go on. I don't want this, this lawsuit to cripple them. I, I, but I do want some of the business practices in regards to the fighters and some of the pay structure, um, to change and, and 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 so I'm a company man in the fact that I want to see change for the better. I don't have a social uh, a union head I can go talk to. And go, hey, is this legit? Like, what's going on here? I have social Twitter handle. I can talk to and contact them there. And so we don't really have any other real recourse of communication of how to go about trying to garnish some sort of change if something's unfair. So, as a fighter in the sport in the UFC, you don't have your boss's phone number. <laughs> no, <laughs> like Dana White. No, that's no. so interesting. So, there's has the UFC contacted you at all about any of this stuff that's going on? Because I heard when the whole Reebok deal happened, Dana White personally contacted some of the fighters. Were you one of those fighters? No, no. How does the Reebok deal? Um, what do you think about the Reebok deal? How does it affect someone well, like yourself in the position that you're in? Like you know what? Until we actually get numbers. It's absolutely impossible to say, you know. So th this is what I thought. I actually I'm stealing this from another fighter. This was actually another fighter's idea. Um, so I, I can't claim uh, originality in this thought that I'm going to uh, talk about. But he said you know, for so long, you know, they've kind of starved the fighters of sponsors. You know, put the tax on it. You can't. This guy can't sponsor that. This guy can't sponsor it here because it, you know, competes with with ours. And so guys aren't getting very much for sponsorship. 
it's really hard to get sponsored with UFC unless you're like a, a main event guy, you know? So guys are going to get like, let's say if they're getting $5,000 a fight for with sponsors, okay? All of a sudden the Reebok deal comes by and it's like, well, here's 6000 And they're like, hey, I got a pay raise. But realistically, you should be getting 20000 You know what I mean? It's like they switched out feeding their bread scraps for a Snickers bar, but it's really just a Snickers bar. <laughs> you know, so, uh, you know, yeah, so, so this is something I think needs to change. And another thing that's a little bit questionable about it is, I mean, in the past, um, and, and this is something that I just, I overall as an industry, it needs to change. Um, anytime there's any kind of chance to grab a little bit extra money, promotions tend to do it. So if, if, if things start going a little bit south for the company, you know, let's, let's say financially they're in a bit of a bind. Uh, I'm not entirely trustworthy of them not taking the money out of that Reebok deal of the fighters' pockets in order to, you know, keep the company going. And, and then the fighters are out in, out in the cold again. Do you worry about any repercussions to these comments that you've made? <laughs> um, <laughs> that's a good question. You know, I, I, was, I was watching... Um, a video about um, fighter pay and stuff, and uh, he, this, I, I, I can't, even, I don't even know who, who, who the individual was that was doing it. He's a beater guy, he's a journalist. I think he writes for SureDog. I'm not, I'm not entirely sure. Um, but he said, you know what? If they want to make, if fighters want to make a change in their pay, a couple of them, a couple of them have to kind of fall on their swords. You know, a couple of them really do have to fall on their swords, and. I, I've been getting a little bit of this. Like, why should we listen to you? You're not a champion. I see I, I, myself right now as a middle of the pack guy. I've got injured a few times in the last couple of fights. But middle of the pack guy, I see myself, you know? And the things that affect, the, the bad things that overall with the Reebok deal and how little fighters get paid aren't affecting the top guys. They're affecting the middle to the, to the back of the pack guys. You know, the, it's most severely anyway. So, I mean, I think it should be encouraged that more guys who aren't, you know, front of the pack, like middle of the pack guys, stand up and, and, and voice their opinion a little bit. Just because, I mean, it, it, in any other in any other job, if there was something that was completely like, you know what, this is not, just not kosher. You know, you could go talk to someone. That you could, you could, you could, you had some uh, course to take that it would could be corrected somehow and the company would be improved overall and, and there wouldn't be any damage. You know, you hope not unless something absolutely crazy went down. We don't have that. So I'm just hoping to, to, to improve that situation, improve the social infrastructure and improve the lives for all the fighters, you know? And realistically, I think you improve the fighter lives for all the fighters, improve how happy they are. And then all of a sudden the UFC and the brass don't get lawsuits for millions of dollars, you know, coming at them. Because they've kind of you know messed some guys over. Do you think that's what this lawsuit's about? It's not about the money, but it's about you know principle. Um, I think that's a good portion of it. I mean, the money would be like the details, so I think that's also part of it. You know, guys have gotten severely kind of raked over the coals with with money, um, while uh, you know the brass are making money hands over fist. You know, like there is more than enough wealth in this sport to go around, you know? So guys who are fighting in the UFC don't have to, like, you know, work at a coffee shop on the weekends just to keep their lights on and put food on the table for the family. You know, you go to any other sport on the highest level, NFL, 
you know, NHL, Major League Baseball, NBA, um, and that just simply doesn't happen. Guys who play in the NBA, if they have a second job, they do it because they like serving coffee, not because they need the money, you know? And so that's an important aspect to really look at and understand. These guys, one time, I was talking to a good friend of mine, um, and he said, you know what, I feel sorry for guys that fight in UFC. I said, why? He's like, right now I have a UFC fighter living in my basement. He fights in the UFC just so he can afford a piece of craft car. And he's like, it's dangerous work. You guys are really passionate about what you do. And you're so passionate about sometimes you um, forego potential health problems. You know, you're like, I've gotten broken bones before. Guys are tearing their knees out. Guys are getting broken bones in their face. They're getting, you know, it's very dangerous work. Okay. And if you look at the amount of money that it takes to train for a fight, the amount of money they're paying out to managers, agents, um, plus play taxes. Most guys are barely making it by unless something substantial has happened in the career. I, I've, I've been lucky enough to do a couple of knockouts of the night, but even still, I mean, I, 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 I calculated my pay is like, I don't know, like 40 grand a year over the three years uh, off, off I did. But imagine if someone did a couple of knockouts of the night, you know, I mean, that's very bad pay. And, yeah. and especially for exceptionally, exceptionally hard, hard work, dangerous work. And, um, yeah. Yeah. That's like, I mean, I'm not sure if you heard it, but Brandon Schaub on the Joe Rogan on Joe's podcast a couple of weeks back where Joe was, I guess he was, he was ripping him apart a little, but he was looking at it like he was a friend, you know, telling him that he, He's not an elite athlete in the sport. He needs to step away because, you know, there's brain trauma issues and and things like that. And then Brendan went on to say things about how with this Reebok deal, he's already lost sponsors. He's already started to lose pay. Have you noticed anything like that happen? Uh, I haven't. um, Then again, I haven't haven't fought yet. I've been out out for a little while, so that's not as uh, a visceral feeling for me right now. I have a couple other sponsors outside of the UFC that I'm pretty blessed to have. Um, so I haven't seen that personally, but I mean, I think the other organizations are going to be able to pick up that flack and fighters who are not fighting the UFC are going to be able to benefit from that. And you spoke about fighter union and, and you think that that, do you think that's actually the way to go? And, and if so, how long do you think it'll actually take for that to become something visible? So, so the question you asked, hey, you think that's the way, way it, has to, it should go? I, I, I don't know if I see any other recourse other than than that. I mean, if, if, there, if there's a more plausible um, solution to our problem here, and, and, the, and the problem is fighters have no say; they have no they have no kind of weight to kind of like voice their opinion. Um, and I, I'm 100 percent open to it, but I think that's kind of the only recourse. You need a players' association or a union in order to you know, validate and fight for our particular rights within a company that, you know, traditionally, historically, has not respected the, the fighters' rights. So I'm just hoping that all that improves and and it, it can move forward. I, I hope that this this this, uh, this lawsuit doesn't cripple the UFC and crush it so they have to sell it and its own doesn't take over properly, you know. I hope, this is what I really hope, and I might be a little bit idealistic, that they come out okay from it, you know, they learn their lesson, they, they treat fighters with a little more respect, and, and give them a little bit of money, because these guys deserve it, 
you know, and I'm not even talking about myself, you know, I, I, I kind of, you know, I, of course everyone wants more money, but it really for the next generation for, you know, the guys who are not getting paid any money and have kids and, and, and then, you know, have to work second job to keep the lights on. That's what I'm, I'm speaking out for, you know, and hopefully it, it, it gains some ground. If for some odd reason, this, uh, this, stuff that you're saying right now not only on this show but on social media that's happened if for some reason this doesn't go your way and and you're no longer with the organization do you have a backup plan uh yeah so uh, of course i do i mean in in that instance you know there are other there are other organizations you know who are paying just as well if not better than ufc um ufc is obviously they're, they're the 800 pound gorilla in the room you know, the, the guys, you know, they, they are the NHL. They are the big leagues, you know, and everyone wants to go there. Um, but, but on top of that, I mean, I have some other stuff going on. I have I have my own radio show, MMA Fight Radio, uh, you know, that's really taking off right now. Um, I have some acting opportunities that I'm starting to dip my feet into. Um, I myself have some other stuff going. It, it, like, if I had never fought, I, I would have other opportunities. I, I, would, I would do other things in my life. You know, um, I wouldn't work a nine to five job, you know, so I, I've been lucky enough to accrue some different skills within my life. But some guys fighting is what they do, you know, fighting is what they do. So if there's not a little bit of money there um, in order to like start a business or, or invest in something or do something with to hold their family off and, and until they get something else going, you know, a lot of these guys are going to be left out in the cold on the bus stop, you know. Now, we haven't seen you inside the octagon since your uh, sort of freak loss to Ovin St. Brew up here in Vancouver in June. Uh, when do you expect to get back inside the cage or the octagon? <laughs> well, if I, if I get uh, all the brass UFC mad, then probably never. <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, I'm looking at the yeah, – I'm just about to be cleared for my arm uh, in the next few weeks, probably the next three or four weeks. So I'm looking at making a, a return um, in April – uh, I was sort of looking at something a little earlier, but I've uh, I've got a part in a in a in a TV series that might be pitched to a pretty big company, so a pretty big station. So I'm kind of looking and waiting on that, see what kind of commitment that's going to take. Uh, as well as uh, I think my radio show is going to go um, to be a little more of a commitment. So I, I want to see how everything kind of works out before I commit to a fight. All right, Ryan. Before we let you go here, just. The floor is yours. Uh, say what you need to say. Obviously, you said a hell of a lot in this short time that we spoke, but if you have anything else to say, now's the time. Yeah, so the, this is what I think. I, I think, you know, now's the time. You know, the ball's rolling, all the fighters out there. If you have something to say, don't be afraid to stand up and say it. You know, like, now is the time. You know, um, don't be afraid of the repercussions. I mean, what's the worst that's going to happen? You're not going to get paid $6,000. You know, you can do that and, and and potentially get fired and then go fight somewhere else for maybe more, you know, maybe less. But what you can get from it is just standing up and just bounding, you know, binding together a little bit so that we can improve the, the whole situation for all the fighters out there. I mean, and, and not just the fighters, the UFC will improve due to it. So that's what I got to say. If you, if, you, if you want to stand up and uh, kind of bind together and, and voice, the opinions that you have that you've been so afraid to do in the past, uh, you know, feel free to do so. And, uh, you know, that's that. Ryan, here's Ryan Jimmo. Thanks a lot for joining me today, man. And, and all the, but all the best in, in your fight for, uh, everything you're fighting for.
<laughs> All right, man. Thank you very much. Thank you guys so much for listening this year, the year that was 2014, Sucker Radio. Next year will be bigger than ever, 2015. We have some doozies for you guys, and uh, I'm already starting to plan them, so look forward. The first week of 2015, I'll have an absolutely stacked show for you guys. Remember to follow MMA Sucka on Twitter, at MMA Sucka. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash MMA Sucka. Uh, Follow myself on Twitter at JeremyBrand604. And with that, I'm out.